ओके हेलो एवरीवन माय नेम इज़ विकास अग्रवाल एंड आई एम द फाउंडर ऑफ एआईएफ एंड पीएमएस एक्सपर्ट्स इंडिया सो यू नो एआईएफ इज़ ऑल्टरनेट इन्वेस्टमेंट फंड्स एंड पीएमएस इज़ योर पोर्टफोलियो मैनेजमेंट सर्विसेज सो वी आर इमर्जिंग एज वन ऑफ द लार्जेस्ट प्लेटफॉर्म फॉर इन्वेस्टिंग इन ऑल्टरनेट इन्वेस्टमेंट्स एंड पोर्टफोलियो मैनेजमेंट सर्विसेज वेल म्यूचुअल फंड तो सही है आई मीन नो डिनाइंग ऑन द फैक्ट दैट म्यूचुअल फंड ब्रिंग्स अबाउट मोर देन Uh, almost two two decades of consistent track record but what is happening is of late we are witnessing huge value migration wherein investors are not only investing in mutual fund they are also investing in in capital markets to pms and aifs uh, and we as an organization we bring about lot of data analytics in terms of helping all our investors to choose the right fund and at aif and pms experts india uh, some of you might be aware that we keep organizing these value uh, knowledge based sessions that's the biggest value add that we can give it to all our viewers and investors so uh, with me this time i have mr aditya uh, from ingrat uh, uh, asset management company well aditya doesn't need uh, introduction uh, he is there on cnbc and most of the media channels and have been speaking with lot of investors if i have to uh, introduce him i would say that he is farmer specialist that's the best way to introduce aditya well aditya brings about almost 18 years of long uh, uh, you know i would say experience long track record in terms of uh, managing public money under uh, both mutual fund and pms platform so he's he's all his life is into uh, uh, pharma and last time we had a chance to read his mind through webinars and Uh, uh you know it had more than 20000 view, uh, views uh, so this time we thought a lot of things happening on the pharma so we'll try and read his mind and understand what's happening sure. so aditya uh, you know you began your career uh, as part of the uh, uh, pharma company you know as you you're part of the treasury and then you went on to become fund manager fund manager and started managing clients money so we'll start with that first and then i'll come to the straight away first question of what is your a view on pharma so uh, if you can just share your experience of last 18 years with our viewers sure i'll do that uh, first of all thanks for having me it's a pleasure and it's a pleasure to connect with your audience um yeah so i started my career with this company called glenmark pharmaceuticals they're based out of mumbai right. i was a part of their treasury the job was to manage the cash flow of the company the debtor the inventory and also to look at the diligence of the companies which they wanted to acquire back in right. those days right now we did that for about 2 years and then you know i got an offer from uh, a company called lehman brothers and investment sure. Bank. Right. Uh, I work for Lehman Brothers, and I joined them in January of 2008. So slightly unfortunate yeah. on the timing, right. but I would say it's very fortunate also because in those 10 months that I worked for Lehman, right. I learned how the U.S. generic pharma companies work. Sure. So you and went to U.S. I went to U.S. and uh-huh. and the U.S. generic pharma companies are actually one of the largest competitors of the Indian pharma companies right. when we sell like products to the U.S. So it was very interesting to see how the competitors work, how they strategize, and how their stock prices are derived and all. that so it was a great experience after lehman bankruptcy i joined nomura london mm-hmm. and again the job was to track the european pharma companies so gsk now right. sanofi novartis these are all mm-hmm. uh, european pharma names did that for about 3 odd years right. and then came to india and joined ambet and then dsp mm-hmm. all you know right. uh, looking at indian healthcare sure. and while at dsp i launched the dsp healthcare mutual mm-hmm. fund uh, which turned out to be pretty good performing right. for the investors yes i remember that yes and uh, uh, in february of 21 i think Great. We launched the healthcare PMS, which mm-hmm. I currently manage. Right. So that's been my journey. It's been 
pharma throughout, but it's yeah. been different pockets of pharma. I've seen Latin America, I've seen America, I've seen Europe, I've seen India. Yeah. So it's a very uh, different business model across the world right. because companies work differently to make money and that's right. very, very enticing to me. Right, right. Now, so what is happening is particularly coming to your subject, uh, Aditya. Uh, you know, uh, people are not able to make money in uh, pharma. And I would say there is a bloodbath in the sense that you see even the largest company like DV's or like uh, Dr. Lal Path or there are some large companies like Sun Pharma. Investors are losing money out here. So uh, first of all these companies that I am talking about is just for the example and yes. we have nothing against those companies. Now when, when we are talking to you as a fund manager, so you have been tracking this sector for a long, long time now. Can you just talk to our investors and share your experience? Where are we and where are we headed? Sure. So instead of taking names of companies, I'll actually divide the entire healthcare universe in five buckets. And I'll sure. talk to you about what is happening in each of these buckets sure. and what is the outlook. Right? right. So the first bucket that we look at is the unbranded generic bucket. This is by far the largest bucket. Now in this comes almost all your large care pharma companies, mm. your Sun Pharma, your Cipla, your Dr. Eddy, Cadilla. They're all, you know, lying in this bucket. Now, these companies are actually conglomerates. They do multiple businesses, but their largest business is the business of selling products to US. Okay. Now, you have to understand that the US generic market is an unbranded market. Mm -hmm. When I say it's an unbranded market, what I mean is that the only buying decision that is made by the patient mm -hmm. is made on the basis of the price of the product. There is no brand on the generic product. I it's see. an unbranded generic. So there is no brand. The product is called by the name of the salt. So for instance, paracetamol is called paracetamol. It's not called any other name. So whether Dr. Reddy's manufactures it or Sun manufactures it, it will be called para paracetamol. Okay. Now when a patient goes to the pharmacy and he wants paracetamol, the decision of whether he buys Dr. Reddy's product or Sun product or Cipla's product will probably be based on at what price are they available. Mm -hmm. Whoever is the cheapest, the patient is very likely to buy that because in his mind he's buying paracetamol, why should we even pay right, a cent extra right. right, for any other company? And what is the size of the market? So US pharma market today is a $500 billion market. It's a huge market. And uh, of those generics is about 70, 80 billion dollars. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean the patented molecules are 3% of the volume, but 90% of the market size. And the generic products are 90% uh, of the, 97% of the volume, mm -hmm. but they are about 12% uh, of the market size. So this is not a homegrown market. So who is the biggest supplier there? So uh, Country-wise. Uh, Country-wise, yeah. So uh, India is the largest country uh, in the US. Uh, we account for almost today 60% of the volume of generics in US, 60, right. 60. And this number 15 years back used to be 10%. Hmm. So from 10 to 60, the journey has been phenomenal. Okay. And all companies, including Sun, Dr. Disciple, sure. they've all done their role, you know, in this. Okay. They've uh, spent a lot of money in CapEx and R&D right. to be able to sell products in US. Hmm. Uh, but this bucket, you know, made money for these companies in 2010 to 15. Uh, back then, my assessment is that the demand for generics was X and the supply was 0.8x. It was lower than demand. Mm. Now, because the supply was less than demand and it is purely a commodity business, no branding, no differentiation. But even in a commodity business, when the demand outstrips supply, mm -hmm. you can charge a good price because there is a scarcity premium right. attached to the price. Right. Now, that 2010 to 15 era, all these companies, you know, literally made tons, made of, money, tons of money. Tons of money. But because they were so immensely profitable in a commodity market, what that ended up doing is it ended up attracting a lot of competition. Mm. Now those competitors started entering the market after 2015. Mm. Now as you can appreciate in a commodity, as a new entrant, 
you have no other choice but to cut price to get market share you cannot differentiate your product there is no branding True. so the only way you can get market share from an incumbent mm-hmm. is by cutting the price and reduce your margin and reduce the margin for the incumbent also and for yourself also and you will do that then the next new entrant who comes will cut your price you will have to meet his price right. so you know so that never is ending ocean. never ending process so today so that is what has exactly been happening for the last 7 years and today we have reached a level where you know the demand in us is x the supply is 1 and a half x oh. it is way more than demand and therefore the pricing of products in us is absolutely you know at their historic lows and it's getting worse every day mm-hmm. because the prices still keep eroding because new entrants keep entering the market so the stocks which did well in that 2010 to 15 era these unbranded generic companies uh, you know they had an opportunity they milked the opportunity sure. but that opportunity just doesn't exist anymore hmm. and which is but that is still a very large part of the index is almost 45 to 50% of the bsc healthcare index hmm. is these companies which are unbranded yeah, generics are and these are large weights very very large weights 10 15% weight each of those and there are six seven companies like that so your total weight is about 50% hmm. um so we don't invest in that bucket much because we don't like the business model as it is today we know there was a good time we know potentially there can be a good time few years down the road not few months not few weeks mm-hmm. few years maybe 5 years 10 years 7 years down the road maybe the supply will reduce again it will become less than demand and maybe these companies will again make money but that is still at least 5 years away if mm-hmm. not more mm-hmm. so therefore today we are not investing in these companies okay. we don't like this bucket but it is the largest chunk of our benchmark which is the healthcare index so that is the first bucket And that is the first bucket now the biggest problem this bucket has is inflation in inflation when raw material prices go up because you are undifferentiated sure. you cannot increase prices say if we are the two players in that one molecule mm-hmm. and the raw material cost for both of us has gone up 10% if i increase my price by 10% to pass on the cost and you don't mm-hmm. you get all my market share Right. So you see the problem here mm-hmm. in an inflationary scenario this commodity business cannot do well mm-hmm. simply because there is no ability to pass on the cost to the But patient. what if there are other countries also no yes. the bigger size so yeah. if US is 500 billion dollar there would be some other country. so are these companies not focusing on those artists No uh, so the global pharma market is 1.2 trillion dollars 1200 billion mm-hmm. of which US alone is 500 that's the largest one. that's a, by far the largest the second mm-hmm. largest is Europe which is about 130 140 billion sure. that's the second largest the third largest is china which is 90 billion 100 billion oh, so spread is very high the spread is very very high so which is why all these pharma companies focus on the us a lot more and europe europe actually majority of the western european countries the government procures there are tenders so even in tenders the pricing is equally bad because you know it's again competitive they are they, are, they sort of seek bids for the medicines and multiple companies bid for supplying those medicines and again the pricing becomes lower because right, there are aggressive right. bids and the same problem so in the world market today to my understanding there are 7 to 8 unbranded generic markets mm-hmm. out of 200 potential markets sure. and the balance 192 are all branded generic but those are small markets and this 6 7 unbranded they are very large markets mm-hmm. so you know there is a popular conception amongst people they feel that if uh, a branded so india for instance is a branded generic right. market and investors feel that if branded generic were to become unbranded generic the prices will come down mm-hmm. that doesn't happen data doesn't prove that us which is the most expensive pharma market in the world is completely unbranded western europe again very expensive pharma market second most expensive unbranded japan china unbranded australia unbranded oh so all these large pharma markets south africa unbranded okay so all these large pharma markets they are large because they are unbranded see what 
ब्रांडेड जेनरिक डाजेस इट कीप्स दी बार्गेनिंग पावर विद द फार्मा कंपनी अ फार्मा कंपनी इज एन इंस्टीट्यूशन दे आर रिस्पांसिबल दे वांट द ड्रग्स टू हैव हाई वॉल्यूम दे प्राइस विद ग्रेट डिसिप्लिन व्हाट अनब्रांडेड डाजेस इज शिफ्ट्स दी बार्गेनिंग पावर टू द चैनल now channel has multiple arms there's a wholesaler retailer right, right. cfa agent each of them will become greedy each of them will have their own and these are not organized people these are small small right, small entities right. so they can you know milk the a lot more margin than mm-hmm. the pharma company and their dependency is too high on them so they would tend to take miss advantage undue advantage undue advantage and that is exactly what is happening in us drugs are not cheap in us we keep talking about price erosion in the us market that doesn't mean that the end consumer is buying cheap he's right. not is actually paying a fairly good price mm-hmm. is the pharma company which is getting lesser and lesser because the middleman is keeping more and more understood so which is why we don't like this business so this bucket you are not really focusing absolutely on. not focused on this is less than 10% allocation in our portfolio in the index it is more than 45% about 50% allocation so big chunk you are ignoring i am ignoring one of the largest chunks and very consciously doing that we have been doing this successfully for the past 5 years it has helped us in the past 5 years sure. and we are sure it will help us for the next 5 years as well i see so that is why we don't do this the second uh, bucket uh, uh, that we like and that the outlook is also very positive is the branded generic bucket mm-hmm. now these are basically companies that focus on the other 192 markets mm-hmm. of which the biggest market is india the mo- the largest branded generic market in the world is india about 25 billion dollars okay right and uh, you know this is the bucket where you are branding mm-hmm. so when in a branded generic market when the patient goes to the pharmacy he carries a prescription which mentions a particular brand he is not bothered about the price he just wants the drug which the doctor has prescribed to him and therefore he doesn't look out for the price he is not looking for the cheapest drug he is looking for that brand mm. and therefore the pharma companies in this market actually behave like fmcg companies they say that it is my brand that sells my product not my cost Mm-hmm. so they do not even manufacture a majority of what they sell what they do is they get it third party manufactured they brand it and they promote the brand sure. they make sure that the end consumer reaches there right. the brand recall is there mm-hmm. so their job in this market is not to manufacture cheap can you give us some examples for the audience sure so uh, indoco remedies in the recent concall uh, in the 3q concall they mentioned that a lion's share of the products they sell in india are outsourced and when they say lion share they meant more than 80 90% of what they sell in india is outsourced all of you will have medicines at your home right so just turn over the uh, leaf of the medicine mm-hmm. behind the leaf it would say manufactured by xxx marketed by xxx mm-hmm. there will be different companies marketed by company will be known to you sun pharma right. lupin sipla right. indoco right. ipka yeah. but the manufactured by company will not be known to you right. because it's a b2b business company yeah. So and you, most of the time we ignore we don't really really uh, you don't see that <laughs> yeah that's how yeah. things are but yeah, yeah. so people know hindustan liver yeah, right yeah. people don't know who manufactures the soaps for hindustan in liver yeah. it's the same thing Actually. it's the same thing you know sansepla you know ipka you know indoco right. you don't know who manufactures for them so these businesses you feel will do well selectively ha huh. so they will do well i'll tell you why so one the branding so branding ensures that there is pricing power us market or unbranded genetic market price falls every year mm-hmm. branded genetic market <coughs> price goes up every year it's a complete u turn sure. right so in a inflationary environment you have the ability to pass on the cost mm. to the customer right. because you're taking price increases right? right now the second most important thing here is it's an asset light business mm-hmm. so in the us because your objective is to sell at the cheapest price you have to do everything on your own mm-hmm. you can't afford to pay margins to someone else right. you manufacture the raw material you do the packaging you do the finished product you do the logistics you do everything on your own to keep as much margin possible as you can inside your company 
But in India, everything is outsourced. Mm -hmm. They do only the branding and promotion on their own because that is the most important part. Everything else they give it to somebody else to do. Mm -hmm. So it's asset light. You don't need assets to do this business. It's again like HUL. They don't need assets. They need people to promote. Yeah. They need advertising. They need promotion. But they don't need the manufacturing footprint to make soaps and oils. So very similarly here. So it's an asset light business. Therefore, margins are healthy. Pricing power. Asset light, margins are good, ROE is excellent, mm -hmm. beyond imagination ROEs some of these companies make. Mm -hmm. And that is why we like the business, because you don't need to reinvest the mm -hmm. cash flows that you make. You can just pay it off as dividends. But is buybacks. there any uh, regulation that you can have maybe 100% or not more than 100% margins or something like that? Do you see any government no. intervention here? No. So government intervenes in the sense that so there is a list of medicines, about 300 odd medicines, mm -hmm. uh, which are mentioned. And this is, list is called the National List of Essential Medicines. Sure. And this NLEM, National List of Essential Medicines, government fixes the price that okay. you can't sell above this price. I see. Uh, but that number of drugs is only about 20% of our market today. <coughs> The rest, 80% of the market, you can price any way you want. Oh. So then the companies, you know, try to launch more products on that side to ensure their overall business margins mm -hmm. are good. And so they will have a mix of both. So and they will have a mix of The both. margin goes up. Exactly. So some. So I mentioned Indoco, for instance. So Indoco has 10% under NLEM, 90% outside NLEM. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you would have something like an FDC, mm -hmm. which is 40% under NLEM, 60% outside NLEM. Mm -hmm. So to each company, is its own. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, all these products still make very good margins. Right. Because despite price being capped, that price is still good enough to give them very good gross margins. Mm -hmm. So for instance, FDC makes 70% gross margin. It's a very healthy gross sure, margin. Sure. Even though 40% of their product is under NLEM, mm -hmm. but they still make 70%. Indoco makes 67, 68% gross margin. So, but one quick, quick, quick question here, yeah. Aditya. So, doctor keeps getting, I mean, a lot of MRs, medical people, they keep meeting. Yeah. And we see a lot of overnight changes in terms of these brands, yeah. uh, you know, going away from the market and new brands, new categories coming Yes. In. So, do you see that because there are more than 600 companies now listed, so how do you see that which are the one which is really consistent? Correct. So, you let the numbers do the talking, number one. So, you look at a 10-year track record of the company. Sure. See, it's okay for the company to launch 20 brands and then realize that only 5 of those 20 brands are going to be big brands. Mm -hmm. So, they will keep those 5 alive, they will remove the other 15, they will launch another new, new 15 brands. Mm -hmm. Now, out of the other new 15 brands, another 5 they will feel can become big, they will keep those 5. The other 10 they will move out then right. again they will launch another 10 brands mm. and then you know that is how this business is done right, right. you have to keep launching you have to keep you know sort of testing the waters mm. for the brand and if your brand seems like it's going to become a success you keep it it seems like it becomes a tail brand uh, remove it get a new brand mm. a new molecule and try your hands at that that's how the business is done right. across companies right. so it's a test and uh, you know tri trial sure. and error sort of a business sure. and it has worked fantastically um, and end point is that end of the day the idea is that the product should be a good branded product the customer the doctor should recall the brand and the company should make good decent margin selling it mm. so i think that business model has survived for ages it will continue to survive for ages okay so this is a business that we really really like uh, it is only 24 25 percent of the index we have about 40 percent of our portfolio in this bucket mm -hmm. uh, we really are overweight on this bucket because we feel it's a fmcg business available at cheaper than fmcg valuations right. far far lower than fmcg valuations and um, the business is just very secular and high roe business mm -hmm. so we really really like this bucket sure. the third bucket that we focus on is the api bucket now mm. this is a slightly controversial bucket why in 1980s uh, india used to be the leader of apis in the mm. world we used right. to sell api to everybody in the world then 
API is a highly polluting activity. So when you manufacture APIs, there's a lot of pollution. So therefore, India always had very tight pollution controls. So back in 1980s, if you were manufacturing some API, let's say for 100 rupees, 15 rupees, one five, 15 rupees used to be the cost of pollution control. Okay. So we had that very tight pollution control, so we had that cost. But we were still the leaders in the world. Then what happened was in 1990s, China came up with industrial park policies. And these industrial parks, China said, create capacity for API and chemicals and you don't need to do pollution control. Oh. Therefore, whatever we were manufacturing for 100 rupees, China was suddenly overnight available mm -hmm. and able to manufacture it for 85 rupees. Mm -hmm. Now, because that happened, all of our market share shifted to China over the last three to four decades. Mm -hmm. Now, today we stand at a point where China has also implemented those pollution norms. Mm -hmm. China's power cost has gone up. China's labor cost has dramatically yeah. gone up. Yeah. And now all those cost arbitrages that China had versus India in API are virtually gone. So okay. today the cost of producing the same API in India and China is pretty much neck to neck. Okay. So then these customers who had early migrated to China are saying, why should we continue to buy only from China mm -hmm. if India is also available to give me the same product at a similar price? Right. And given China's now relations with the Western hemisphere of our world, you know, those countries are saying that too much reliance on China mm -hmm. for anything is not a good signal. Right. right. right? So they are also looking to de-risk their supply chain as they call so it. So do you really see in terms of number this API uh, is really growing in India and what was the size and what is the size now in 5-6 years or 10 years of data points? So we actually don't know the exact size. What we know is the export numbers because sure. that's official data. Right. How much API get consumed in our country? Yeah. There is no official data there. So India used to uh, India used to ex uh, last data that we have is China exports forty billion dollars. India exports four billion dollars of API. Okay. So what we are hoping for is China loses ten to twenty percent market share, mm -hmm. which is not a big number honestly, given the sentiments right. for China today. And if China loses say 10% market share, India's revenue will double. Right. If China loses 20% market share, our revenue trebles. Mm -hmm. Another interesting data point here to monitor is the CAPEX. So if you look at, let's say, just as an example, let's sure. take DVs, which is yeah. the largest API yeah. company that yeah. we know. So DVs started in 1982. By 2017, DVs had a total gross block of 1800 crores. Mm -hmm. Now, if you divide that 1800 crores by 35 years of DVs existence, it means roughly 50 crores of CAPEX per year DVs used to do. Mm -hmm. Now, in 2023 end, DVs is likely to have a total gross block of 6,000 crores, okay. which means by two, from 2017 to 2023, DVs would have done capex of 4,200 crores, oh. which is an average capex of 700 crores a year versus earlier hundred of Huge 50 number. crores a year. Mm -hmm. So from 50 to 700, there's something happening, right? Mm -hmm. Companies do such enormous capex only when they have visibility of auto book. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, pharma companies like DVs don't announce their order books, but we have it in good authority that they have a good quality order book, they have a large order book. Mm -hmm. And DVs is again just an example, there are multiple other API right, companies right. which are all doubling, trebling, quadrupling their capacity mm -hmm. because they have such high order books. Mm -hmm. So we don't have DVs in our portfolio, for instance, right. because we have issues with the evaluation, etc. Sure. But uh, we have other API companies in our portfolio mm -hmm. and they are doing phenomenally well in terms so of... So how does a special chemical companies fit into Spectrum. this API? Yeah, yeah, so specialty chemical is actually very interesting. It's a bucket that we have been studying for a long time. Uh, specialty chemical is actually a bit of an abuse term as well. So see, chemical in itself is pretty unbranded and undifferentiated. Mm -hmm. But when they say specialty chemical, they mean that it is somehow differentiated or difficult to make or difficult to synthesize. And therefore, some people have an edge over others mm -hmm. in making that. My experience from pharma tells me that today, whatever is specialty chemical, 
five or ten years down the road it may not remain specialty chemical because today whoever is making that is making extraordinary margins mm -hmm. and very high top line growth yeah. now if they are able to do that i am sure their competitors will say yeah and there i saw some small companies growing 10 times in exactly. last uh, five so, six years time. yeah yeah so see when that happens that attracts competition mm -hmm. and you are not doing something at least in my understanding yeah, from but when i talk to those companies they say that you know because china uh, they are shifting from China yes. to India, therefore they still have a lot of visibility going on. Exactly. So, uh, order book visibility is there, mm -hmm. right? So, next five years are great, no doubt. My question is beyond that five years. See, you are not paying a five times multiple. Right. right. You are paying a 30, 40, 50 yes, multiple, yes, right? Yes. So, my question is beyond the next five years. Mm -hmm. Because if I am a competitor and I have enough capital, I am an entrepreneur, I have enough capital, and I see you making 40% return on equity by making some chemicals, right. why wouldn't I do it? But would they not have more, any kind of mode because these are unique thing in nature and the yeah, product so, is... Uh, yeah, so that is what they want to put forward. Mm -hmm. We studied it. We could not arrive at the conclusion that there is any more. It's I just chemistry. Okay. Right? So you have hired a few chemical engineers, a few people in your R&D to understand how to synthesize a particular molecule or how to be excellent in one chain of chemistry, let's like say benzene or whatever, fluorine. Uh, but I don't understand why I can't hire another bunch of chemical engineers and R&D people and hire some, some of them from your company, right. if you are the greatest, maybe hire some of them from you and uh, you know build my own benzene and fluorine uh, chain. Right, so story is cooked a lot to large extent. Okay, I think yeah. so, I, I would, so that is why we have never touched a spe uh, spec chem company sure, at all. Sure. Uh, we have always felt that this is a sector which is peak profit, peak multiple sort of situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we would like the profits to normalize before we evaluate those companies. Yeah, because, because it is highly affected in last 14-15 months of time frame if you look at it. Yeah, I would not be surprised if it's affected for the next five years. Yeah. Simply put, see, uh, unless you have, what truly differentiates you in the world is two things, technology and brand, mm -hmm. by and large, you know. Right. Uh, so, if there is no branding, especially chemical, clearly, mm -hmm. there is maybe a chemistry related technological edge here and there. But is that edge sustainable or not? A two-year, three-year, five-year track record is just not enough. Mm -hmm. You know, all these chemical companies have become big in the right, last two, three, five right, years. Right. I would like to see them to do this continuously for 10 years mm -hmm. before I put my money in it. Sure. I've seen these pharma companies for 20 years mm -hmm. before I put my money in them. Right. So I want to see them for at least 10 years before I put my money in them. And then maybe I'll decide to invest in them if they're able to show me that there is a moat. Right. Then I would bend down and I would say, yes, there is one and I would invest. Sure, sure. But today I can't understand that. Mode. So I'm Point staying taken. away from that. But yeah, what I can tell you is what has happened in chemicals in the last five years is very likely going to happen in API in the next five years. Mm. See, API also doesn't have branding, but API also have chemistry modes. There are certain APIs which are five-step APIs, or certain APIs are 50-step APIs. Hmm. As in, there are 50 manufacturing steps involved hmm. in manufacturing one API. There are certain APIs which you can manufacture in two to five steps. Hmm. So again, the 50, 40-step manufacturing is a tough task, right? right? And there will be some uh, limited competition window of 10, 15, 20 years for these sure, companies. Sure. And that is where we feel that you know some of these API companies have become really mm -hmm. really big. Mm -hmm. So that, that was your third bucket. Yeah, that's my third bucket. So that bucket is about 15-16% in the index, 15-16% in our portfolio. Sure. The fourth bucket that we really really like is the hospital bucket. Now the hospital bucket we like because uh, historically hospitals have not been a great uh, money maker for investors. Right. The reason for that largely was that hospitals really never uh, you know were asset light they always used to own the land and building which mm -hmm. made the balance sheet really heavy and which made expansion really really debt heavy True. because every time i had to borrow a lot to right. expand 
of the last 10 years now hospitals have figured out that there is something called an asset light model you don't need to own the land and building you lease it even the medical equipments now some of the hospitals are not buying out forward they're taking it on rent on lease right. so what is happening is in very less amount of money they're able to expand much faster mm. because they're not owning the asset they're yeah. leasing the asset yeah. And that has resulted in lower margins because you have to pay rental for everything versus earlier you're not paying any rental. But that has improved ROI dramatically because the balance sheet has just shrunk in size versus earlier balance sheet needs to be really, really heavy. So we, we think hospitals will be a fantastic phenomenon. Uh, Heal in India as an objective, Indian government has talked about Heal in India. Indian government realizes that we are not only the hub for the cheapest drug manufacturing, we are also the hub for the cheapest healthcare in the world. So drug manufacturing, they have a PLI, right? which is helping drug right, manufacturing. Right. Now they are going to come out with initiatives to help medical tourism. Mm -hmm. Now, if you know, uh, an average hospital chain in India gets about 10% of their revenue from medical tourism. Mm -hmm. But that 10% of revenue is responsible for 30% of the profit. Because a medical tourist is charged significantly higher than an Indian citizen for the same service and the same product. That's a news to me. <laughs> now, so go to any hospital and give a foreign passport and they will tell you that your pricing is different than the Indian citizen mm -hmm. and you have to pay more but you get the same service and the same product. Right. But the other thing which we realized that there was a lot of problem in terms of the way these hospitals balance sheet used to be managed. Correct. Now yes. do you see really some changes happening when you are reading their balance sheet? Absolutely. So as I said they don't expand now so they don't buy the land and building. Mm -hmm. So the balance sheet is much lighter now. So every time they expand the balance sheet doesn't blow up mm -hmm. and their debt doesn't blow up. Yeah. It's much more disciplined expansion. Because you go to any hospital, you don't see occupancy there. But then <laughs> yeah. when you see the balance sheet, you don't read anything. Yeah. So exactly. where was the gap and where do you see this gap is bridging no. as, a, as, a, as a fund manager? Sure. So the gap was in two things, right? So first gap was the asset heavy mm. situation that right. existed. Right. That has just been you know taken care of by doing the asset light bit. The second gap was on occupancy. Mm. So occupancy, may, earlier hospitals used to think, uh, that you know I can do every discipline multidisciplinary hospitals right so you have cancer you have maternity you have heart attack you go to the same hospital right so every hospital should think that I will do everything mm -hmm. and therefore what used to happen was that doctors weren't sure see in a hospital patients mostly come from a doctor referral yeah right now doctor if I am a doctor I'm a cardiologist and this hospital is telling me it can do cancer it can do cardio it can do everything in mm -hmm. the world I am not sure whether my patient will be best taken care of. So now you have seen the emergence of super specialty hospitals. Yeah. Right? So you see Rainbow, which right. is a you know children specialist. Yeah. You see HCG, which is a cancer specialist. You see Narayana, it is a cardiac specialist. Right. So on and so forth. So you have multiple hospitals which are now becoming super specialty. Mm -hmm. That is taking care of the occupancy. Mm -hmm. Because now the doctors are very, very comfortable. If I am a cardiologist, I am very comfortable referring my patient to a Narayana. Mm -hmm. If I am an oncologist, I am very comfortable referring my patient to a right. HCG. Right. right and that is how these hospitals have changed mm -hmm. and you see their metrics now so uh, they used to make seven eight percent return on equity now they are 24 25 percent return on equity businesses by the way barring fmcg mm -hmm. one of the very few businesses in india that have negative working capital is hospitals okay. a negative working capital is a big statement mm -hmm. it is a statement that i have huge bargaining power versus my customer right. and my vendor they both my customer pays me in advance yeah. i pay my vendor much later Right. That means your, your bargaining power. Unlike your hotel industry. Hotel industry is completely opposite. Yeah. They have huge inventories. Right. They have huge data cycles. Hospitals don't do that. Yeah. They are negative, uh, negative working capital. Mm -hmm. Negative working capital is also important because every time hospital profit goes by 100 rupees, the cash that they make is 120 rupees. Their working capital also gives them cash. Mm -hmm. Because every time your base grows, your working right. capital also grows. Yeah. 
So while they grow their sure. business, they make more cash yeah. than they were making earlier. We are hopeful that this uh, particular bucket should really shape up well. Yeah, they, they've done phenomenally well, honestly. In fact, even in the past 18 months, while every other healthcare sector sub-segment has struggled, right. hospitals are actually the best performing sub-segment. So how many uh, businesses are listed in those? I mean, just a rough idea and how many... Seven, eight what is listed. Or, so, uh, no, seven, eight uh, are the decent size ones. If you mm. include the smaller ones, about 14, 15 hospitals are listed. Okay. Right. Uh, and But seven, eight are the decent size ones. There sure. are others are too small probably right. to buy. Uh, and what would be the weight like in there? Uh, so, in the index, hospitals are roughly... Uh, 12-13% weightage. Oh, quite a big number. Yeah, and we have about 17-18% in our portfolio. Okay. So, so we are way more optimistic than the index on the hospital business. Okay. And last and the most uh, debatable segment that we really yeah. like is diagnostics. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, when we launched the Incred Healthcare PMS portfolio, February of 2021, everybody was saying, how much diagnostic will you buy? And we said 2%. And the index at 3%, we were buying 2%. We loved the business model. We did not like the price. Okay. For us, it's not only the business model. Mm-hmm. It is the biz- a good business model at a good price is what we look for. Yeah. So they just saying that bhav bhagwan. Bhav bhagwan che. So really, we were very very uh, you know uh, uh, we were very helpless. That it's a these are a bunch of companies we really really like the business model. We really like the financials, but we, the market prices were just too exorbitant for us to invest meaningfully in them. So we did not touch them. And COVID happened, and all these stocks increased, and everybody yeah. you know sort of was asking us, "What are you doing? Why are you not increasing?" Yeah, they're down by 60, 70 percent. Some of them are down 80 percent, 70 percent now, yeah. and now we are becoming bullish because it's still the same business model okay but the prices are now much more reasonable the only thing the reason why these stocks have fallen 70 80 percent are two reasons number one they all made great money in covid during rtpcr and antigen test right huge money that is not recurring anymore that was never supposed to recur right we all knew covid was not like a structural situation right they are the one who actually made a lot of money exactly so they made huge money (laughs) and we all always knew that was not going to recur second uh, there has been this online competition, you know, of cheaper diagnostic right. tests. And, and I think investors are overly worried mm. as to what that will do to the incumbents. Now, mm. my point is this. 85% of the diagnostic market is unorganized. Right. So, there is plenty of space for new uh, entrants. Mm. And none of the new entrants will try to take the incumbent head on. It just doesn't make sense. Sure. They will attack the 85% unorganized market I first. See. Once the unorganized market is gone, they'll probably then, fight amongst yeah, each other, yeah. which is a whole, you know, two, three decade out story. The second thing is, discounting... The story is very strong there, is it? It is extremely strong. When you compare that with the developed economies? Yeah, yeah. so developed economies, the online platforms and the brick and mortar coexist profitably. Both of them are profitable. In India, the online platforms are not profitable. They are burning cash. So they so today one can question the sustainability of those right, platforms, right. but I'm not getting into that. Sure. I'm just saying if you look at the history, so uh, there was this online platform launched in Delhi, discounted online platform in 2014. Mm-hmm. It is a company promoted by a former cricketer. Sure. I'm not going to name it. Yeah. But they started in 2014. As of 2021, after seven to eight years of operations, they had 70 crore top line and 45 crore loss. Oh. So in seven to eight years, that discounting digital format gave them nothing. Mm-hmm. And people are now just worried just because it's a bigger house coming with a different name, there will be more disruption. There isn't. Even that house has now started increasing prices of all the tests. Mm-hmm. 
so we are very very optimistic and all our work suggests that diagnostic industry nothing has changed okay and therefore you know two years out one year out all these perceptions will be just you know right. in the opposite direction people will again be going to buy diagnostic stocks so you are you are you are underweight we were underweight before the crash of these stocks and we are now, now overweight okay so we are now about 11% invested in diagnostic stocks the index is still 3 mm. we are about 11% in diagnostics we are okay. very very optimistic about the future of this right, sector right. so this is the outlook on all the five buckets sure, and it was sure. a long no, no. answer but it's a <laughs> no, big thanks sector so great insights aditya a couple of quick questions now sure. so you know there's been saying that uh, uh, you know your it and pharma these are the two biggest a contributor to our economy mm. of late we are witnessing that somehow the flavor of pharma is going down from an yes. investor point of view yeah. it continues to be at where they are maybe yeah. 10 15 percent weight is down due to market correction but i'm sure it will come up okay. what do you think at a broader level where are we headed as an as an economy in terms of pharma and where do you see 10 15 years down the right. so see again uh, the reason why people have this perception that pharma hasn't done well is because they are focusing on the larger pharma companies. Mm, mm, mm. So when you mean far, when you say pharma, you mean probably Sun Pharma or Dr. Eddie or right. Lupin. Large names. Which are the large names. But I am telling you that they do a business which is yeah. not doing well and will likely not do well. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of the smaller companies, right? right? So a company let's call Collapse. Mm -hmm. Seven years back the stock price was six years back the stock price was three fifty rupees. Today, like for like the stock price is seventeen hundred rupees. They did a bonus right. in between. So the stock price is eight fifty today, but it is actually seventeen compared to that 350 so in the same time that some of the last stocks are down 30 40 percent mm. this company has gone up 400 percent 500 percent in that time right, right? Uh, another company rpg life sciences which mm. is today our top bet mm. uh, it was some 80 90 rupees uh, mm. five six years back yeah. today it's 800 rupees right so it's gone 10x in five six years right so when you say that pharma hasn't done well it's perhaps because you are focusing on the larger names hmm. if you focus on some of the apollo hospitals one yeah. of the largest hospital right. listed in india it turned it out very rupees. well yeah. it was 900 rupees six years back today it's 4200 yeah. yeah right so it is five six times right so i am saying that there's a bunch of companies which haven't done well yeah. but that's because the business of pharma that they are in mm -hmm. is completely you know not done well right. and it's probably not do well in the next five years but how is it an overall size of the markets you when you look at last decade or maybe the two decades back with the right. compare that with the current numbers so india historically the pharma market has grown at 10 to 12 percent per annum mm -hmm. and that will continue to happen it will grow probably even faster mm -hmm. to tell to give you a flavor last 10 years india gdp cagr real is five percent India pharma market CAGR is almost 11%. Mm -hmm. So it grows faster than the overall economy. Mm -hmm. So next 10 years, if you feel that the India GDP will grow at let's say 10% nominal, then India pharma market will grow more than 10%. Mm -hmm. Because see, once Roti Kapda and Makan is taken care of, right. the next incremental disposable income goes mm -hmm. into healthcare. Right. Right? right. And that is what we have seen with the US economy, we have seen with the Swiss economy, we have seen with the English economy. Right. It is the same everywhere. Right. First the bare essentials, and then comes health. Right. So in India today we are at two thousand dollar per capita mm -hmm. GDP. Mm -hmm. That is the threshold. Right. Beyond that threshold, every incremental penny has more and more wallet mm -hmm. share of pharma right. and healthcare than it has for let's say clothing or food or housing. Right. You know, incrementally so, more money. My question is that you know, as an investor, mm. what do you think? What should be my allocation towards pharma? Sure. So globally, most of the markets, the weight of healthcare as an index in their own economy is about 10 to 15%. Mm -hmm. In India, because today healthcare is not appreciated as much right. by investors, it's right. about three and a half, four percent 4%. Right. Right. So I think uh, 
you you can either invest 4-5% today and grow along with the index mm. to get to 10-15% okay. or you can invest 15% today right. and when it becomes 15% in the index, you will probably be 40%. Mm. So, you mm. already would have made your money, right. you know, by the time that happens. So, we advise investors that at least 10-15% to 15 of their portfolio needs to be in healthcare, dedicated right. money. Right. Because this is a sector which is still very, very young, very mm. nascent, mm. yet extremely profitable and mm. extremely secularly growing right. in India. So just don't focus on the exporters. That is where a majority of the mistakes are made. Mm -hmm. Focus on the Indian consumption of healthcare. You will not go wrong. Mm -hmm. The other thing is we see a lot of uh, organic food and organic people are becoming more health conscious. As you rightly said, the roti kapda and makan is done now right. at three three point five trillion dollar of economy. Right. Now we are heading towards disposable income. Now, do you think some kind of uh, uh, extraordinary uh, uh, growth will be witnessed in three four years down the line because people becoming more health conscious and suddenly you see that these ah, so see covid has done that already right so pre-covid how many people you know wanted to get their eyesight checked right. how many people wanted to get their bp or their heart right, checked right. now if anything small happens to you you know people are rushing to the doctor earlier it was dood and haldi hmm. you know dood haldi is fine right doesn't work as much right so now you go to the doctor a lot more yeah so yeah. it has already begun vikash that trend has started mm -hmm. people for even the smallest of issues want to go right, to the doctor and right. check as to what is happening right and this can only potentially grow. See, uh, understand this. We are becoming more westernized in our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. That means more computer, less walking, yeah. more cars, more electronic gadgets on us. Right. Electrification of the environment around us mm -hmm. will always have an adverse impact on our health. Right. Simply because our body was not supposed mm -hmm. to be electric. Well said. We are supposed to be organic. Right. <laughs> but we are not, what we are doing, none of it is organic. Yeah, yeah. But that's the modern lifestyle, right? Yeah. And, and you can't get away from it if you have to compete in this world. Right? Yeah. So you will need a support system mm. to help you survive that right, lifestyle. Right. And that support system is healthcare. Right, it has started. Right. There's nothing uh, you know that we don't know about. It's just that you haven't recognized. Right. You have seen it, right. you have not noticed it. Right. The other thing is, you know, if you can talk to us about why Incred decided to come out with PMS and that too in pharma because you know you generally when you start you start with your own flagship product like yeah. maybe large cap then you start mid cap but mm -hmm. this was the only SMN when we, when we don't see too many PMSs operating in this sure. industry so first of all thank you for launching this and this is helping most of our investors to participate in pharma you Definitely. know uh, the any views on that sure uh, so look uh, in so there are already eight or nine pharma mutual funds available yeah now, as I said, in healthcare and pharma, today the biggest challenge is some of your largest, most liquid names are in a business which is not investable. But these mutual funds have thousands of crores mm -hmm. as a UM, mm -hmm. and they have very little opportunity to invest in smaller companies. Yeah. But the branded generic business model, the diagnostic business model, the hospital business model, the API business model, all of this is actually between small and mid caps and micro caps. Mm -hmm. They are the companies of the future. But today they are very, very small and illiquid. Yeah. And these mutual funds with thousands of crores of EUM just can't buy them. Right. Even if they wanted to, they can't. Right. And which is why the need for a PMS exists. Mm. Because I am not a pooled account. Mm. I am an individual account. Right. And because I am an individual account, it is 50 lakhs, 1 crore, 5 crore, 10 crore. I can easily buy into as small a company as I want. Mm -hmm. If I like the business model, if I think it's sustainable profit, right. if I think the valuation is good, I can still buy it. Mm. I don't have to look for liquidity before I buy. Right, right. That is why the need for this PMS was always there. Right. And that is why we launched it first mm -hmm. before we launched any other product. Right. Yeah, so 
Aditi, what I wanted to also talk to you about is, uh, so, uh, you know, at the current juncture, you know, your your portfolio is well positioned and you've got about 80-85% in mid and small cap as we talked about. So, can you talk to us about what is the current P in the pharma? What is your portfolio P? What is the return on equity that you're looking at? What is the cash flow that you're looking at? Over? Right. Um, so, in terms of our portfolio P basis, uh, one year forward numbers, the portfolio is around 18 times P multiple. If you look at the index, it's about 20, 21 times P multiple. Um, and in terms of ROE, again, one year forward, the portfolio ROE is about 17. The index is around 15, 15 and a half. Okay. Uh, and that's again because the index has those large companies which have low ROE right. because they are in the US business. So right. that is what bears. And those companies are more expensive also. Mm -hmm. So that is the reason why. <clears throat> our portfolio P looks lower and our ROE looks higher. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the cash flow, that's a more important question, I feel. Mm -hmm. So the free, uh, the operating cash flow yield of our portfolio one year out mm -hmm. is about 6.5%. Okay. And that of the index is about 4%. Mm -hmm. Now that is again because that US business doesn't give enough cash flow. Mm -hmm. In the US business, if you sell about 100 rupees, 20 to 30 rupees actually goes into your working capital. Right. right. The rest only comes in your cash flow. So peg turns out to be the PEG. So PEG for our portfolio will be around 1 because it's about 16.8% return on equity and about 18 times P multiple. Right. So 1.1. So from a valuation point of view, if you look at it, it's a good time to enter it. It's a fantastic time to enter. Right. See, simply because um, if you look at the 10-year average, the sector is currently doing lower than the average 10-year ROE. Mm -hmm. Average 10-year ROE is 15. The sector is currently doing about 11 mm -hmm. or 10. Mm -hmm. And the, if you look at the average price to book multiple 10 year, so the sector is still trading at below price to book for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So when the multiple and the ROE both are below average, that is the best time to put money. Mm -hmm. Because that's when the ROE recovers, as an investor, you get earning growth and you get multiple re right, right. That's how you make more money as an investor. Yeah. So p instead of being scared when a sector is beaten down right. or a theme is beaten down, right. you should actually bull up on it as long as you believe mm -hmm. it will resurrect itself. Right. It will go back to the normal. Right. And we have all the signs and all the data to show you that it is actually going back to the normal as sure. we speak. Sure. So, you know, this is the right time to invest mm -hmm. in that sense. Mm -hmm. Couple of quick questions, uh, maybe last two or three questions. So. Uh, how do you deploy funds? You deploy overnight, you take 2-3 months time when somebody is giving you a mandate of 50 lakhs rupees. Right. So I'll give you uh, examples. So there are times when we deploy overnight. So if you give me money, let's say in an environment like this, you know, when everything is, you know, literally dirt cheap. Yeah. I would like to deploy it as fast as I can. Sure. Right. But if you, if the money comes when the market is in up cycle and we believe valuations mm -hmm. are getting right. a little stretched, right. we can take two to three months to deploy. Mm -hmm. Because then we, we become very sticky and choosy on the price at which right. we enter in a stock. Right. Right. So that is how it is. So mm -hmm. it's not a uniform answer. Yeah. It depends on what's happening in the market. Right. Now we come across a lot of uh, professionals, you know, who are uh, at a senior management level in these pharmaceutical companies. And they have a lot of ESOPs already. They got it from the company. Uh, and that their valuations are not going up. So they keep asking me what should they do. So I always give them uh, this advice that you should uh, diversify your portfolio because you cannot afford to take too much of risk. One, you're working in the company. One, anything happens wrong, you're, you're you know, in trouble. And then you have all the wealth also associated yeah. with that. So what is your opinion on that? No, so concentration in healthcare as a sector is never advisable. Mm -hmm. So even we, you know, in our portfolio carry 17 stocks. Right. It is a fairly concentrated right. portfolio, right. but it's still 17 stocks. It's fairly right. diversified as right. well. Uh, we give similar advice to our clients. Mm -hmm. We say that sure. look, never tie up your earnings and your 
wealth, everything to one right. you know company, right. you need to diversify it. Right. And uh, because uh, you know it's a sector where things might change, it's highly regulated, right. Right. Uh, export oriented, so currencies change. Mm -hmm. So you want to always you know uh, sp spread out your bets right. and not be too focused on right. one name. Right. There are a lot of investors out there, especially Eltra Chennai, they feel that when they are investing in diversified PMSs, their pharma you know, uh, contribution, their pharma exposure is done through them. Right. But do you think that they should have a separate, like for example, we suggest them that you, know, you have to have a separate portfolio for fixed income, you have to have separate equity exposure and within that I always recommend that you have to have some amount in IT and some amount in pharma. Sure. So what do you think about that? So, see, my answer will be biased because I manage a healthcare yeah. PMS. But let me give you data which is unbiased. Yeah. Had you invested 100 rupees in Nifty 10 years back, mm. today it would be worth 300 rupees. Mm. Had you invested 100 rupees in healthcare companies but not unbranded generics, mm. not the large companies which yeah. do US, that 100 rupees would become 600 rupees. Mm. Mm. That so is where the... That is where the real money is being made. The branded generic, the hospital, the API, right. the diagnostic. Right. 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 And that is the bucket where we focus on. Mm. Mm. So clearly the answer is that you need to have a special dedicated capital for yeah, this sector right. because the sector grows phenomenally secularly, mm -hmm. stocks do very very well, cash flow rich companies, right. very little to no debt. Sure. So really no sensitivity to inflation or interest rates, right. no down cycles, involuntary consumption. Right, right. Yes, there will be good and bad times in the equity market and there will be good and bad right. times in this portfolio. But the businesses will always give you comfort that they are really doing well. Right. So as an investor, you can have the capacity right. to stay invested for decades. Not for just years, but Great. for decades. Excellent, Adit. It was a pleasure talking to you. Great insights My from pleasure. you. My uh, pleasure. I hope that all our investors out there, they would appreciate the kind of knowledge that you've shared with all of them. And at AIF and PMS Expositia, we keep organizing these knowledge-based sessions and we'll continue to do so. My submission to all of you is please subscribe to our channel so that whenever we do these kind of value-add activities, you are the first one to get to know about it. So thank you so much once again. Thank you for all your love and support. Thank you. Thank you.